This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we've got Tom Davidoff, Professor Tom Davidoff. No Professor Dom, Tom Davidoff, this is this is a back-to-basics episode. This Tom, is. Tom has was one of the first guests we ever had. He's been on the show a bunch of times since. But I really feel like over the last year we we've been missing something, and it's and it's, it's Professor Tom Davidoff. It is, it is. It's it's not quite the same just the two of us uh, <laughs> without Tom here uh, via phone. Yeah, but it, this is a fantastic conversation. They always are. He's a he is a fan favorite. Uh, we've had a bunch of people ask why he hasn't been on the show lately. Uh, I don't think he's been on the show since he debated Andre Pavlov. And I should say, we've had Tom on at, at various stages of the market. Yeah, I mean, well, the first time was it was in your old house, one of our first episodes ever. Right. Nerve-wracking conversation, reading from the page. Everybody early, huddled around one mic. Early 2016. No headphones. It uh, launched this, uh, what was then a little upstart podcast. Yeah, pre, remember the old theme music? If you don't remember <laughs> that, go back and, and listen. <laughs> that, it was uh, around yeah. the dubstep uh, time. Yeah, yeah. The podcast. Dubstep was big back in early 2016. Then... After that, I think we had him on to make predictions at the start of 2017. 2017, you used to wear your hair long. Yeah, it was. That was, <laughs> those, uh, that was a different time. That was Woo. a different time. I was vegan that year. Uh, then and, we had him on later, I think, in the same year because the market did 30%. The condo market did 30%. Right. I was growing and out my beard. You, at that point, yeah. And you were wearing glasses at that stage. Still wearing, still wearing glasses, still playing hockey occasionally during the week. Right. And then, and then there was the, the 
the great debate, which will go down in history. You had blown up like a balloon. Yeah. <laughs> you were, you were, you well, were not I stopped working out. Yeah. That was one of the big things back then. Right. But, uh, but now he's back. Yeah. It's great having him back too. It's so many different stages of our lives <laughs> and the market that Tom has lived through and commented on. You know what? He's really, he's, there's goalposts of my life and they all center around our talks with Tom. I feel like an 80s movie montage with, you know, sappy music could play of <laughs> memories of our podcast and Tom Davidoff. And you know what? This is a fantastic conversation because we're coming, it's early, early March. Uh, we're coming out of a, of more than a couple months here with very low sales ratios. Right. And and we really delve into, you know, he's one of the architects of the BC speculation tax. I think he he wears that badge proudly. Yep. Uh, We talked to him about that. We talked to him about the market, where it's going, where it's been, if he thought it was going to slow down the way it it has. I mean, there's the topics There's so much in this conversation. This is really going to be one of your favorite episodes. Stick around. Tom Davidoff. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Tom Davidoff, Associate Professor at UBC Souter School of Business. How are you doing, Tom? Very well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking the time once again, Tom. So, Tom, uh, you know, we, we, you've been on the show a number of times and you're a fan favorite, but can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I teach real estate at the Sauter School of Business. I'm an economist. I've studied aging and uh, housing and insurance and their intersection. I always found uh, reverse mortgage particularly fascinating. I've also thought about land use regulation and property taxes. And uh, all of a sudden, the last few years in Vancouver, that that's become an area of policy interest. Uh, so it's been a lot of... Uh, interviews like this one and, and and trying to persuade government to do what, you know, I think economics tells us is the right thing uh, in terms of policy choices. Yeah. And we'd love to talk a little bit more about uh, the BC speculation tax, which I think you're kind of implying there uh, that you were kind of one of the architects, at least of part of that policy. But maybe we'll just start, uh, Tom, with kind of getting your take on how the market's going right now. Yeah, you know, and there's the for sale market and there's the rental market. And, you know, I, I think the most interesting thing, you know, that I that, that one has seen is first the explosion in home prices and rents starting around 2000, uh, I guess, 14 or so was the start in, you know, 2016, maybe the heyday. And, you know, it was this puzzle. And, and I think, you know, sort of like the U.S. housing crisis, we still don't know exactly what happened because, you know, there, there was this divergence of, oh, it's all foreign money coming in from, from China it was one perspective. And another perspective was, no, you know what? The uh, millennials are coming of home buying age. It's a big generation. And there's a lot of immigration and there's a lot of organic demand for homes in Vancouver. And, you know, I think the answer was both. We're now seeing the speculation tax, an empty homes tax, which is more of that out-of-town buyer type policy intervention. It sure looks like they're having an impact on the market. Uh, And, you know, West Van has been dead since, I think, you know, the foreign buyer tax. So that sort of says, yeah, maybe it was the out-of-town demand. On the other hand, uh, rents have slowed down as well. And rents, you know, that's not out-of-town buyers driving rents necessarily. And, you know, condos went bananas after the foreign buyer tax came in. 
You know, they were up 30% after foreign buyer tax. And that suggests, you know, local demand for roofs overheads uh, is also a big deal. And, you know, you had rents go up by 20% in a couple of years. So (laughs) I think the answer is, you know, it was a little bit of both. And uh, here we are now with uh, a bit of a lull in the market. And two questions uh, for you, Tom. One is uh, the real estate market is is kind of hard to parse and understand, I think, uh, for, for the brightest minds. The rental market strikes me as even more challenging. Like, do you have any – it sounds like you're a little bit puzzled, um, you know, but the economy is still going strong, Right. Um, the B20 rules didn't impact renters. Like what is, if anything, B20 probably, you know, pushes people to stay renting a little bit longer. Right, right. So, so what is the, you know, it's funny, we've had a past guest and we say it all the time where he says, you never hear about a rental bubble. And I don't think that's what we're seeing in Vancouver, but we're, we are seeing kind of, uh, differing, uh, rents in different markets and fluctuations that, that it's not quite as strong as it was. Like, what, what do you make of that? Yeah, I wish I had an intelligent answer, so let me try and uh, riff a little bit. Um, again, we saw really big increases, you know, and I've tried to cut this by housing quality, and the big increase was at the bottom of the market. I mean, I think we've always seen that. From 2016 to mid-2018, you were up maybe 8% in single-family homes rents in the better neighborhoods. And I'm getting this off of what was the listing price on Craigslist for smaller apartments and apartments farther away from the most desirable core areas. Rents were up like 25% in a couple of years uh, in terms of what was listed on Craigslist. So, you know, it was the bottom of the market that seems like, you know, young household formation, wacky times, whatever you want to call it, uh, driving demand for the rentals. But then why did that slow down in the last year? Uh, That's a really tricky one. And, you know, maybe a similar story to what the heck went on with a 30% jump in condo prices after foreign buyer tax. Yeah, because I, I, you know, we we were renting some places uh, of our own back a year or two ago. And and like, it felt like it was similar to an open house, right? Like there was a frenzy for, yeah. for amongst renters that is kind of totally dissipated. But do you think, and I'm just thinking out loud here, but how much of an impact do you think it, it has to do with, with more inventory coming to the market? Like the Airbnb and, and I'm thinking, yeah. I'm just thinking, well, out loud, I've heard, yeah, that's a great crack, one. That, 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 that's a great one. That is something I have heard is the crackdown on Airbnb made a difference. Mm-hmm. And it is certainly true, I think, for anybody who's thought about renting out a property. You look at Airbnb where the tenants have no rights, (laughs) you know, they might be a disaster, but they're gone in a short amount of time Uh, versus being a landlord. You collect half the rent uh, you would on on Airbnb uh, and the tenants have all kinds of rights and you can only raise the rent so much. So I think a lot of people probably did find Airbnb to be an attractive alternative, uh, despite the fact that Airbnb would tell you from their listings data that they don't think there are that many full-time Airbnb hosts. So, so I do think Airbnb crackdown may have made a bit of a difference. That that's that's an intriguing possibility. I, you know, and I think it actually it might go even further than that because if you think of the Strata's reaction to really short-term rentals, like nightly rentals, a lot of the Strata's put in a one-year minimum for the rentals. Uh, in a, in a lot of buildings downtown yeah. and surrounding areas, which kind of even played the hand of people that were doing kind of three month and six month short term rentals, right? Furnished rentals. Furnished rentals. So yeah. it kind of floods the unfurnished market, and mm-hmm. um, 
So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just thinking out loud, but I know that especially the higher end product, like if you have a, a place for, you know, four grand a month, it's pretty hard to rent right now. Well, and this is why I think mm. Tom was referencing this, these mansions that, you know, seven students are taking on oh. <laughs> for 600 bucks each a month or whatever's this going is on it. right now. Yeah. You know, those spec tax specials, you might call it, you know, I'd love to take credit and say it's a speculation tax. But uh, you see them periodically. They kind of ebb and flow uh, in, in, in West Van. I've always found that to be intriguing because I thought, you know, why are people crowding into basement suites? We've probably talked about that when for four grand you can get, you know, what I would think would be a 20-something party house uh, in West Van. And, you know, maybe it's sharing problems, what have you. But the bridge. that type of listing has, has ebbed and flowed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, but you know, you see them in Shaughnessy as well. Uh, at, at any rate, that does, there does seem to be a surge in those. The other issue of course would be completions. You know, there's been a lot of condos under construction and we are seeing some completions now. We're going to see more in the coming year. So you would think that ought to be putting some downward pressure, uh, on rents as those come online. And that'll be a bigger factor, uh, in the coming year. I'm I'm waiting for a capitalist student to uh to to get one of those houses and sublet it to uh, his friends and and I think you could probably cat that might be one of the few cash flowing properties uh, arrangements. About to sublet on the four thousand rent, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he could who was it? Rockefeller who used to uh, buy chocolate bars and cut them into pieces and uh, and make cash on the arbitrage. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I was just thinking when you were. Uh, talking about how puzzled a lot of this makes uh, a lot of people that think a lot about real estate like just from a uh an economist's viewpoint does a situation like this get easier to understand with time like are are you guys gonna 10 15 years look back and say i think we've sort of sorted that out now or or is this just gonna remain a mystery the last five years in a lot of respects that's a really good question. And, you know, the only comparable thing I can think of is when home prices went bananas in the sand states in the U.S., which, you know, is something I tend to probably talk about too much, but it's just that was such a weird phenomenon where you had this explosion in prices in areas where it's not that hard. And, you know, it's not Vancouver and Phoenix. You know, you can build a lot of new houses and the suburbs are just as good as downtown. But for this brief period, prices went to like double construction cost after being sort of pinned down by construction cost for a very long time. And, you know, I think the answer is it was subprime, but we don't have a great answer for why there was subprime in a place like Phoenix causing giant price growth, uh, but not in a place like Raleigh, North Carolina, which was also growing beforehand. Uh, So, you know, with hindsight, I would say the U.S. housing boom and bust. Uh, I think people have gotten a little more precision in terms of their explanations, but I, I think there's you know questions we still we still don't have answered. So, will we ever know what was driving both rents and prices simultaneously in Vancouver and a few? You know, Vancouver wasn't the only place. You know, no, I think I think between you know the the, the millennials, uh, a strong lending environment and uh, global investment demand. You know, will we be able to parse it out? I, I'm really not sure. Right. Well, actually, this kind of goes to one of the questions we had for you here. Uh, The Economist, I don't know if you saw this, uh, came out with a report like four or five days ago on March 7th, it looks like. Prices of prime Mm. properties around the world are falling. And they cite Hong Kong, London, New York, Sydney, and Vancouver as all taking 
uh, price declines on the higher end luxury market in the last year or so. Um, so is there something larger going on here? I mean, clearly they seem to think there is, uh, as opposed to just the, the local explanations or, or even local policy explanations. That's a great question. You know, I mean, uh, Hong Kong's complicated. Of course, outside money, you know, Chinese money in particular, you, you might have thought was an important factor in all those places. And China's cracked down on money coming out of China. Uh, but, you know, I, I think London and, and London has shut itself off to outside money. I think with the Brexit mess, I, I you know, I suspect that's pushed things down. Uh, but New York's, you know, a little bit different in terms of the more global source of the money. They overbuilt luxury, though, New York. I mean, I, that, that's my suspicion. Uh, they, they just built a lot of luxury product. They also built a lot of rentals and rents are coming down. But Hong Kong, that, that's, that's a tougher one. You know, I mean, obviously prices there are, you know, you, you had to think they were going to correct a bit somewhere in, in, in the superstar Chinese cities. So, so maybe getting back. So, so, the, so you know, I think I think you were fishing for. So, Tom, what was the common theme in all of those places? Yeah. <laughs> and I think I said it's a little hard to know because they're not the same market. They 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 do have somewhat different factors. Right. And I was just talking to somebody from Hong Kong last week, and he said, "Yeah, I'm thinking of leaving Hong Kong," and he ris- listed all the reasons why. And he basically, <laughs> to summarize it, it was the missing middle. And the guy, it was three of us, and the other guy said, yeah, well, that sounds a lot like Vancouver. He's like, you don't have a clue if you think this is like Hong Kong, uh, just yeah, how tough yeah. it is to, to It's live brutal. There. But it was a point, and I, I, Matt had read the article, I hadn't, but it was the point of the article that, that was kind of indicative of a, a larger trend towards a global recession? Or is Well, is well yeah, I think that the point in, in the article was that uh, – that real estate trends are not as local as they once were, and they're becoming more international, especially with uh, the the global rich uh, liking real estate in certain cities. And that I think this suggests that there's uh, signs of a, of a global slowdown, um, an increasing global slowdown, I guess. Well, that's, and that's great. And I guess the, the point of that is that even clouds, you know, what are we going to find out about Vancouver? Because, you know, I think many of us, again, would love to say, oh, well, look, it, it, it was the speculation tax that slowed things down. And that kind of works in Canada because, you know, uh, from what I know, the slowdown, you, know, you want to, you know, the other question in Canada is B20. But of course, New York and Hong Kong don't have B20, but they also don't have the speculation tax. So, uh, solving, you know, what's happened to prices in all these different cities with the same story at the same time, I think is pretty challenging. Right, right. What do you think about uh, any predictions of what's going to happen with B20 in, in the coming months? Uh, there's there's talk, obviously, of, of kind of pulling back from that 2% to possibly 1%. It's a good question. You know, if rates started to rise, you know, maybe you'd say, all right, well, you know, this is the stress. We don't need the stress test. We're in stress. Um, but, but, you know, long-term bond yields have corrected down again a lot. So getting rid of the stress test would have, would, would presumably have a fairly big impact on qualifications. And I know, you know, the government re- remains concerned about excessive flows into real estate. Um, I don't know, you're heading into an election and, uh, I'd be surprised if nobody's had the conversation in the last couple of weeks about, Hey, you know, uh, this election may be a little harder than we thought. Uh, you know, so you know, if, I, if I wanted to win an election, you know, uh, 
putting the punch ball back uh, in in the center of the room with uh, getting rid of these qualification rules. It, it couldn't hurt. Right. It, it seems like such an interesting moment because um, I guess the stress tests obviously were put in place because we were in a rising interest rate environment and and. So, you know, to limit the the number of people that were kind of swimming without their bathing suits on or however you want to put it. Um, but if the interest rate environment kind of stays low, it strikes me as they, there is a concern that there's potential for overheating again. But yeah, with the SNC-Lavalin uh, debacle here in an upcoming election, man, anyone's guess. Yeah, I mean... Gosh, you know, being being prudent about the economy when when you have an election to win it, it it's 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 quite an act of discipline, actually. Um, but what you say about interest rates, I think, is very complicated. You know, if interest rates start to rise, you know, does that mean, uh oh, we really need the stress test because interest rates are rising, or is it if interest rates stay at these bizarre, historically low levels? Do you say, you know, we can't let people qualify at these rates right. because? We worry, you know, they're going to correct upwards. And it's so important. I, you know, it's funny. I mean, I would think like 100% of news stories should be about low interest rates because we're in a correction here in Vancouver, it sure seems like. But it, it, I think we've learned something about interest rates that the, that the, we really may be in a world where, you know, you don't go that high above uh, 2% ever. Uh, you know, that, that's a possibility now that just seems so crazy a few years ago. And that has a big impact on what properties are worth. Uh, but you know, until recently, all the stories were about rising interest rates. And I, I think we've learned a lot about the persistence of low rates. Right. And, and you know what, and even just on the ground thinking about that, and I, I said to somebody yesterday, uh, when they were talking, and I feel like it was kind of August, September of last year about, uh, you know, there's going to be a couple more, uh, rate increases in 2018 and maybe another four in 2019, like the feeling uh, out on the street amongst buyers, recent buyers, like people were very, very nervous uh, yeah. in a way that they, that has totally dissipated now. Um, but it's amazing. I mean, not even four rate hikes in a year, four to six or whatever they, they once were, were talking about. But it, it seemed like that was it, out of anything, just the general feel. That was like you want to put brakes on a market, start talking about rate increases like that. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, on uh, a million dollar mortgage, you know, if you happen to be at uh, say a three percent interest rate, uh, thirty grand a year, you know, that's less than three k a month. And uh, you know, you have property taxes and costs, and of course, you know, strata maintenance can, can be can be hard. Uh, but, but you can justify very high prices, uh, mm-hmm. if you, if you're, if you're locking in, you know, if you really believe rates are going to stay constant, you're going to be at 30 K a year on a million dollars. You know, it, it's not that great of a unit and, and you've justified a million bucks. And, you know, obviously if, if that cost can double and you're seriously worried about that, that that's a big impact. But, but it sounds like you're, and maybe, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but about kind of a prolonged uh, new normal for interest rates. Uh, does does the last year in in Canada or or even uh, more globally suggest a kind of new normal in that regard, or, or are you expecting this to kind of be a just uh, a blip on the on the rise of the interest rates back up in the coming years? 
Well, taking my advice on where interest rates are going would be an even worse idea than taking my <laughs> advice on where prices are heading. Uh, but what I would say is, you know, you have to think a lot of people thought rates were going to go back to historical levels, and it kind of looked like they were. That seemed to be the story, I don't know, a few months ago. And, and they've really, really dialed back. So I think what we've, to me, what I've learned is, you know, we may, not we do, but it's possible that we live in a permanently low interest rate world where, you know, the 7% mortgage rates, at least in the States that, you know, were higher 10% that, you know, I once knew uh, that those are just not going to come back. And so you have to really think about how you price real estate with these low long-term yields that we see. That doesn't mean it's correct, but I do think the fact that rates dialed back after looking like they were going to track up suggests you know, it has to. You have to think it's more probable than you thought it was a year ago that we've got sort of permanently low rates. So, Tom, it's been it's been a while since we've talked to you, and the market has changed quite a bit since then. Did you foresee this type of market slowdown in Vancouver? Well, the last time we talked, I think what I said is I give up on trying to know, and nothing would surprise me. Um, so, you know, it, I, I, I just can't believe anybody would look at all the demand side measures that have been taken, you know, because whether you believed it was first time buyers or outside money, policy has now whacked both of those. So and we have a lot of inventory that's going to come online. So I don't see how anybody could be shocked to see a bit of a correction, uh, you know. The bottom in the middle of the market, and you guys know much better than I do, I think has been fairly durable. To me, the, the question going forward is, I've, oh, I've for a long time suspected we could see a real condo catastrophe uh, because you know these pre-sold units can come back on the market in a variety of ways. They can come back as rentals, and they can come back as flips. They can come back as flips because it was an outside buyer doesn't want to pay the foreign buyer tax. And we just saw these CMHC numbers that you know you were at twenty percent um, non-resident owners. You'd think some of the pre-sale buyers are going to you know think about getting out to avoid all kinds of different taxes. Uh, and then you might have buyers not qualify. If people were paying, I think, for pre-sales 125% of market and markets correct 20%, uh, you know, you, you, you might have some people and, and people who didn't know the stress test was coming. You might have some condo bought people committed to pre-sales but unable to close. You know, that, I haven't seen a flood of pre-sale assignments happen yet. But that's like, to me, the other shoe that could drop. I'm not saying I, I don't want to say whether it will or won't, but that, to me, is part of the nightmare scenario that could emerge. I'm, I'm expecting April to be the, well, actually, March and April to be the, the Vancouver house is on sale at the moment. 43 listings on uh, MLS currently, I think, 41 or 43. And uh, we've seen a few assignments pass our de- uh, over by our desk that are, are some pretty good. Yeah, there's, pretty good like deals. there's some pretty exceptional deals right now, like people that bought in 2016 that are basically looking to get out at cost. Right. So, right. Oh, but there, but there, but it, oh, so 2016 to today, you're sort of break even on the pre-sale. Yeah, I mean, there's some, there's some, those are the exceptions for sure. But there's some, mm. and they, and I think these guys fit right into exactly. What you're talking about, you know, maybe overstep, bought a little too much real estate, you know, multiple and, units, multiple, multiple units, units or... uh, self-employed, uh, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, having to move some units and assignments are tough to sell right now. Um, obviously, uh, there's 
So, so yeah, they're just trying to get out. But and, uh, yeah, and and I just to add to that, Tom, because we were talking before we before we went on the air here, we were talking about just how the gaps have kind of narrowed between condos and the detached market. And you know, I, you were mentioning it doesn't make a lot of sense to you, and it it definitely doesn't make a lot of sense to us. So that would suggest that we're either going to see a spike in detached or likely a uh, some more downward pressure on the condo market. Well, that's that that you know, which of those is the question? I mean, in a way, I've been surprised, and maybe I'm wrong. And maybe you know, some people have sometimes said, well, you know, single families dead above three million, but around that two million dollar price point, still still doing okay. Um, because you'd think there, you know, even today, there's a lot of people who've made an awful lot of money on their condos. And, you know, right. if you started, if, you know, if you, you know, you got married a couple of years ago, now you've had a couple of kids. If you'd bought the condo four years ago, you're sitting on big capital gains and the opportunity today to trade up to a uh, single family is pretty good. So you could see upward pressure that way. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, if, if if people do try to step up in big numbers, uh, that that would be a source of selling of condos. And then we have this issue of the inventory coming. And uh, boy, the top of the more single family market still looks dead. You're st- I, I, I've noticed, you know, West Van, you're starting to see listings under two million, which I don't think you've seen for a while. So, yeah, I don't know when that'll turn around. So maybe switching directions a little bit, Tom. There's still this idea of of demand and supply in Vancouver and there's and there's so many people that um are still saying you know we desperately need supply we des- desperately need uh rental housing and and there's been some you know recent uh anger over some stuff that's been passed at at city hall over rental housing but but what strikes me in the conversation that we've had today so far is you're actually more worried about all the inventory coming online as opposed to not continuing to build supply at this point, if I understand correctly. Well, it depends whose perspective you're taking. Uh, You know, as a matter of, you know, just prognostication, I think there's a world in which supply coming online could really, you know, further beat up prices. And that's a bad thing if you want your condo to continue to have high value. And it's a good thing if you're looking to buy. And there's no question a lot of the units that are going to come online were bought by people looking to rent them out. You know, more, more, more supply is, is a great thing for, for, for people who are renters. I, I don't think there's any question about that. I guess what I'd say, I don't think there's any question about it, but what's interesting to me is you know, there's just not that much discussion of how great supply is is for renters, and supply of condos works well for for renters too. You know, I, I personally feel that the push for purpose built rental, I just have a sense that it, it's a bit misplaced. You know, if if half the condo units are getting rented out anyway, you know, the the, the first order question is, can we get roofs over people's heads? Right. You know whether those roofs have a t- form of tenure that's dedicated rental or a flexible tenure condo. That's a second order question. But it, you know, it, to, to listen to public policy discussions, it's like the end of the world if you don't build purpose built re- rental. Yeah, why has that become such a a hot button topic? Because it's the yeah the long term security of purpose built rental, obviously not being able to be evicted for, you know, a family member moving in type thing or it being sold. Um, 
But purpose-built rental has not been built in Vancouver for a very long time, and now it seems like it's all anyone wants to talk about. It's kind of an interesting moment. I agree. Well, I mean, I think when rents go up by 26% for not great rentals in a period of two years, that, that, that leads people to look for solutions. And, you know, you say, ah, well, you know, what's the perversity here is that we have not had any purpose-built rental. And, and so I don't think it's at all crazy to say we need rental. You know, we're building condos. We need rental. I don't think that's a crazy reaction for people to have. Uh, but again, I think, you know, one point to make, too, is when you had both rising prices and rising rents, the temptation for any landlord to bump out a tenant uh, to do a potentially not real renovation or family occupancy was real right. uh, and strong. But A, the province has taken steps to make that less easy for landlords. And B, with rents cooling down and uh, for sale inventory you know, starting to pile up, that play by landlords is probably less of a big deal today than it was a couple of years ago. And, and part of that is because we've added new condo supply. So, you know, my, my, my perception is condos should get more credit as roof overheads than they have. The other side of that is the speculation tax and empty homes tax. You know, maybe it was two years ago you worried about all the condos being bought by people who weren't going to live there and weren't going to be landlords, but that's not going to happen anymore. That's what I was just thinking. It's like that that's kind of uh, created a situation where they're going to be they're going to be on the rental market, whether the guy wants them on the rental market or not. <laughs> that's right. You know, politics is funny in that way. I, w- you know, like in in a world where everybody's, you know, reading from the same scorecard, you would think the conversation about how important it is to do, you know, purpose-built rental and not do condo would have changed after the speculation and empty homes tax were in place because people would say, oh, okay, you know, we used to worry, now we don't. But I haven't heard, I on Twitter, which I follow fairly avidly, I have not seen anybody say, you know, I used to worry about the need, you know, condos as not providing homes, but now that these taxes are in place, I support supply as a solution to affordability more than I used to. Mm-hmm. I have not seen anybody make that statement. Yeah, yeah. And I also follow, I'm not as active on Twitter as you, but I'm definitely following as closely, probably some of the same people as you, uh, as uh, you as well. Um, And neither have I. Um, One thing that strikes me is we had a question here, you know, are are we going to build enough density or enough, put enough supply into the market over the next three to five years to make Vancouver uh, a healthier real estate market? Um, and, and the, the kind of logic of that question is that there's, you know, developers are pulling back this year. There's, there's fewer starts, uh, for new construction this year. There's, looks like in 2020, there's going to be fewer than 2019. Uh, when, when I saw those numbers, at least I was thinking, okay, there's a potential that we're going to be in a, you know, all these demand side measures are actually going to perversely create kind of a similar situation in which there's there's not the supply that we need. But I, I don't know if that question even makes sense in in relation to what you've been saying. It seems like there's, um, you know, that supply, the amount of supply coming down and kind of the freakishness of the last four to five years um, in terms of what actually was causing the real estate uh, causing real estate to to do what it did in the rental market and in uh, on the condo single family side. Um, I don't know. I'm spinning my tires a little bit here, but but what are your thoughts in regards to that question? No, I hear what you're saying. Um, 
you know, we're going to be in a slowdown in private sector construction. I, I, from everything I've heard and, you know, you're echoing that, um, and you have to think a bid ask spread is going to evolve between land sellers and land buyers, you know, uh, especially to the extent somebody's already spent money assembling property for a multifamily deal. You know, they're not going to be comfortable selling at a price that a builder would now pay to get them to trigger building, even if they, they weren't kind of freaked out by what they're seeing in the market. You know, what that does do probably is open the door to uh, BC housing. The province allocated a lot of money for affordable housing construction. And if, you know, contractors are charging 500 bucks uh, a foot to build, piling on public construction really doesn't make any sense. You know, you know what I mean? If you've got a bottleneck in the construction industry, having the province step in and add cost by building their own units at the same time, when there's a line out the door to get stuff built, that, that really didn't make any sense. You know, for the province now to be able to step in, that, that might be the way to get construction, and there's, the, and there's your purpose-built rental. Certainly, the next couple of years would probably be a better time to start public projects uh, to the extent anybody believes in public projects, and I, I have mixed feelings about that, uh, but it would be a better time probably in 2020 than it was in 2017. What, what are your feelings about public projects? Well, uh, I think, you know, the problem with being poor is that you're poor. So if you want to help low-income people, give them money, you know, and don't necessarily have the government be in the business of, of, of building housing anymore that it's in the business of growing food. You know, you have hungry people, but you give them money and then the private sector feeds them. And, you know, that's basically what I think ought to happen in the housing market. That said, in a market like Vancouver, where we're going to be affordability challenged for a long time, and the government has access to very cheap money now and can be patient, I don't think it's crazy to have some publicly owned rental housing. It's clear for me that a lot of the policies, and and I think you're right, I think that um, I I see your, your line of thinking in terms of how this will potentially lead to that but it, it seems to me like there's there's certain groups that are benefiting from these changes in the market who do we still have a missing middle in your opinion that's a great question uh so by missing middle you, you know you can mean a couple of things i think that's like town home duplex you know both in terms of the product somewhere between single family housing and, and tall condo physically and then you've got housing for the middle class because you've got luxury housing and we don't really have much poor housing for poor people either, but we have some public social housing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of it more so like we had kind of talked about, there seems to be a lot of downward pressure on the, the multi-million dollar homes in, in yeah, Vancouver. Yeah. There seems to be the, the pressure seems to be in the entry level and kind of the middle price points. And if I understand a lot of the province's goals, I mean, there's definitely a rental uh, or a market rental housing component. Um, there's also a lot of modular homes being built, and there's obviously um, a, a lag way, a lag time here for that construction to actually take place and and hit the market. And then we also have a series of problems with skilled labor and actually, you know, making sure mm-hmm. that 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 will will meet deadlines for that kind of product. So I'm just wondering what happens in the interim and if these policies have been successful for for the people that you know aren't looking for multi million dollar homes. I guess that's right. I mean, you know, it's easy to see just death penalty continuing at the top of the market. 
you know, you run the gamut with what's being built, though. You know, there is a fair amount of townhome inventory coming on. So, you know, th- that that may be the action in the middle. But, you know, we don't know how serious this downturn is going to be. And I think, you know, the middle of the market, people looking to trade up to a townhome, something a little bigger than a condo, but not, you know, $2 million. House. It, it, are we going to see enough pressure on that segment of the market? Uh, to really make a difference for the people who are kind of giving up on Vancouver as a place where they're ever going to own. That's, you know, if you look at the uncertainty over where prices are going to be, it's definitely the worst case scenario in terms of market health where that segment actually gets meaningfully less expensive. So, Tom, one one thing we've been thinking about, obviously we're in a softer market uh, now than we've been than ever before when we've spoken to you. Are, are we in a better place today than we were a, a year or two or three ago? Well, you know, when the NDP took over, my sense was, you know, they were going to do a lot to, to soften the market. And, you know, as a, as a political matter, thinking about what they might do, I thought, you know, they, they have to be super careful because people hate unaffordability, but they hate a crash and seeing their wealth disappear even more. I would say if we stopped now and prices leveled off and just were sort of nominally constant for the next three years, uh, that's about as good as you can hope for. I, you know, if you start to see deeper price declines, you have to think that could take uh, the economy with it. You know, not to say we don't want to see improved affordability in certain in certain market segments. Uh, the rental rental growth has, has been a problem. But if it, you know, I think where we are today is is a pretty good place relative to where we'd been. I mean, the, the market—it was too much. The increases, I think, were excessive, uh, just in terms of destabilizing people's lives. Uh, but if what you want is stability, I think you know, if we get into the uglier scenario where construction totally shuts down, uh, people are underwater on on their recent purchases, um, you know, severely. That, that that gets to be, you know, to, to get to, you know, that helps you get to deeper affordability, but but that level of disruption uh, to, to people's wealth can be a bad thing. Well, yeah, I just, um, what struck me, and I was wondering, because sometimes when you listen to Carol James speak, uh, there's kind of a cowboy-like quality to, or mm. cavalierness to the way she speaks that makes me sort of... Um, Nervous, not not necessarily for myself, but for the economy, broadly speaking, just in the sense that it almost seems like there's a, a um, yeah, like the, the sort of overall general economic future of the province seems to mm. hang in the balance a little bit more than she maybe lets on. Well, this budget, I think, was encouraging in that way. I didn't know at all what was going to be in it, and I'm not sure I could tell you what's in it afterwards in the sense that there wasn't a lot of ballyhooed new stuff. And, uh, you know, had there been, you know, it, it would have been interesting to see really draconian steps towards the property market in the current budget, but we did not see that. Mm-hmm. So that suggests to me, uh, you know, w- when you recognize that you're in an uncertain situation, it's a good time to to take in some more information and, and determine what's next. So uh, in that way, I think, I think that's encouraging. Tom, um, what, just wondering how life uh, has been since uh, in the introduction of the spec tax and um, any unforeseen consequences of the policy so far? 
you know, I think to the extent people have bad things to say about the speculation tax, I think it's been, you know, people with vacation homes, you know, they call it the family cabin, what have you. I'm sure there's people who are in a position, geez, you know, now I don't get to go on vacation anymore. And that's a sad thing. Uh, But in terms of outcomes, you know, seeing these luxury houses come on in, you know, fairly significant numbers, seeing the market obvious, I I think, pretty clearly respond to it, uh, I, I would say, you know, the speculation tax it was it was a pretty novel thing. You know, this isn't something that a lot of people have done. And, you know, given you don't really know what's happening in the market, as we discussed earlier, you don't know what the impacts are going to be. You know, I think we've seen outside investment for other than being a landlord purposes was kind of a thing in the market. And uh, you had to address it one way or the other. So I guess I'd say I'm encouraged in that way. And, and has there been any... Like unforeseen in terms of and and not necessarily I can't really think of any, but just in because you thought a lot about it before it actually yeah. was implemented. Yeah. Um, are you like, ah, oh, I didn't think of that? Or the, the geography was interesting, right? I mean, you know, you have these conflicts where certain municipalities are very unhappy to be inside the tax, and you know, when we proposed it, it was an opt-in as opposed to the province tells you. And it was going to be the municipality keeps the money instead of the province keeps the money. Um, but I guess that's a foreseen yeah. <laughs> event in the sense that I thought, well, if you're going to get municipal buy-in, you got to keep the money locally. But the province went in a different route, which which was, you know, we get the money. And so obviously they, they, they have a greater propensity to be inclusive about who who's in or out uh, as opposed to municipalities that have to worry about, uh, you know, the local economic conditions to a greater extent uh, than the province, which has diversification away from that. Tom, how long do you think, kind of moving back to the market, how long do you expect the sales ratios to continue to be so low and um, any predictions on the market uh, for the balance of 2019 and maybe in the next uh, one to three years? Oh boy. (laughs) You know, I can only say that in the short run, if you had bad sales to listings, you tend to see the price index fall the next month. And part of that is the dogs that didn't bark. You know, this is a favorite new, new idea of mine, which is we look at these price indexes. If there's 10 houses for sale in West Van, that are all the same, and one of them sells for 2.5 million. Price indexes act like all of those ten homes would have sold for two and a half million dollars if they'd sold. But you know, the guy who sold got lucky. Those other nine houses wouldn't have sold for 2.5 million, and that's why they didn't sell. So you know, I, I think we're going to continue to see index declines as, as stuff uh, you know piles up in terms of inventory. So in the short run, I'd be pretty surprised, especially at the high end of the market, to see a recovery. On the other hand, seasonality is a big thing in real estate, and we're heading into some good months of the year. So in the short run, you know, you've got a a fight between inventory pile-up versus seasonality, so you don't know how that's going to shake out. But I just don't know who's buying the top of the market today. Um, You know, the outside demand seemed like it was a big deal at the top. Right. You know, anecdotally, what have you. So, so who's going to pay four million bucks? There's a lot of four million dollar listings uh, out there, and I, I don't know who's going to buy them. You know, as to the harder question is, I think what we've discussed is, you know, the sort of middle of the market. Um, there's a lot of frustrated buyers out there, you know, uh, who were sitting on the sidelines. I think unable to find a place. 
and you and you have all those guys to work through before you can see a crash in the um, you know condo and detached market. So that 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 that's the big unknown, and uh, you guys would have a better sense than I do. Well, surprisingly, a lot of those people actually go away when they start to see prices change and and the relentlessness of the market pushing forward uh, kind of dissipate. Right? They kind of just go, "Well, wait a second, uh, prices are coming off. Maybe I should wait." Right. If if what you're doing was to buy to to protect yourself against rising prices, why are you going to buy when prices aren't rising? Huh? <laughs> sure. Exactly. Exactly. Is real estate in Vancouver more expensive in in ten years from now? Well, on the rental side, I'd be pretty shocked if it weren't. Uh, you know, we are going to have an inventory increase, so you might see some negative numbers in rents over the next couple of years. Uh, but rents, I, I, I'd be surprised uh, to, to see negative growth. Ten years, I, I, I'd be surprised as well on prices, uh, you know, just given what we've seen in terms of superstar cities around the world. Um, you know, if I, if, if I was going to pick a segment that's at the greatest risk of, of not coming back, you know, at least in inflation-adjusted terms – you know, it would be a horse race between the real top of the market, which needs outside money, I think, to get back to where it was, uh, against the drive to qualify stuff. You know, condo in the Fraser Valley feels more like the American Phoenix. You know, if, if you were going to pick an analogy to Phoenix in our market or to Orlando, Florida, the places that really got clobbered and took a long time to come back in the States it would be the uh, lower end, uh, you know, new supply in the part of the Vancouver market where it's actually not that hard to build. So, you know, I think on average, probably 10 years from now, we'll be ahead of the game, but I'd, I'd put the, t- the very top of the market and kind of the bottom of the market at the greatest risk of uh, not being there. So it sounds more like um, uh, locations like, like Vancouver and, and operating within kind of the local price points is, will be the most stable markets. It's a conjecture, but I, I think so. You know, the, the part of the markets that you know have been supported by a growing population and uh, you know some demographic pressure. You know, like an East Van house isn't going to be more at ten years from now than today. That that would surprise me. Maybe wrapping up, Tom. We haven't talked too much. We had Gordon Price on, and he talked uh, a decent amount about Vancouver's new city council. Uh, yeah. but that was, that was really early days, kind of late last year. I know you follow, um, you know, local politics, uh, <laughs> fairly closely. What are your thoughts on, on local politics right now? Well, I think it's been fascinating and, you know, um, there were, I think if you count <laughs> the green PA, uh, you know, the greens and the NPA could have formed a no more growth forget about it block. Mm -hmm. And it looked like that might be the direction things were going. Uh, But if you look at the uh, NPA leadership, uh, you know, they're not all no, no growth. You know, I think DeGeneva certainly has pro growth instincts and uh, Dominato seems quite reasonable. And, uh, you know, I think Hardwick is the most skeptical about growth. But, you know, even she supports rental stuff usually. So 
you know, to the extent that supply is continues to be relevant in a down market, and I think for you know rental properties, that's a real possibility uh, that, that you'll continue to see supply, especially as we expand transportation. You know, I, I think this council is surprisingly uh, tolerant uh, of supply. It could have, I think, it could have gone the other way. I think certain people maybe overplayed their hands. Uh, you know, there was some 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 footage about uh, go, uh, about that in a hearing that was sort of surprising. So uh, I, I I'm more favorably uh, impressed than I than I thought I would. I would say I'm, I've been positively surprised by the council's tolerance for growth. You know, that said, you know, we have a new city plan that, that could be a morass and and go nowhere. Right. Uh, but 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 so far better than I thought. Fantastic. Well, well, maybe we'll leave it there. Uh, but Tom, we got this segment called the Five Wire, and it's been a while since we've uh, we've had yeah. you on. Can we? Can you stick around for that? Oh yeah, you got it. All right. So, uh, number one question: What's your favorite neighborhood? Well, I love Kits because of the natural stuff. But I mean, it's so much less cool than anywhere east of there and north of Sixteenth uh, or Kingsway. <laughs> You know, it's it's just I, I I don't know if it's always been obvious, but like the coolness of East Van relative to to the West Side, it just seems like it's getting the, the wedge is growing every day. You know, it's funny. We just and I might have actually said this. We had a a listing in Mount Pleasant where the tenant was moving out, and she said, "Yeah, I just moved to Kits, and we did it because we got a house and it was good rent." And she was in a one bedroom in Mount Pleasant. I said, "Oh, that's got to be a step up." She said, "Well, no, I grew up in Kits, and I don't have. There's no cool factor for me to tell everyone now that I live in Mount Pleasant, which was seemed Str- a, striking. Yeah, a little bit overstated, maybe. I mean, <laughs> Kits ain't that yeah. bad, but but uh, yeah, there's a growing divide. Kits, you know, amazing. I'm I'm in my 40s, so I have no need for seeing other human beings. You know, like, <laughs> I've got more than enough professionally and in my family. I mean, I love the the people in my life. I don't don't get me wrong." Uh, but you know, if if I needed to see other people and you know see and be seen and all that jazz, then I'd, I'd uh, you know uh, I'd, I'd go east. That's why Matt's east. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm gonna I'm gonna name one. I'm gonna name a you know like I'm gonna show that I've actually gone east of Granville from time to time, and I'm gonna name a neighborhood. Uh, and uh, then I'm gonna get it wrong. Was it Fraser Hood? That's cool, you know, with Sally Lemon <laughs> and that Brooklyn pizza place right next to each other. That's what do you stuff. think? What do you think of the pizza? Because you're a, you're originally from Brooklyn. I'm, right? I'm from Brooklyn, and I think it's good pizza. It's not bad. That's what I was thinking. You know, there's a lot of bad pizza in Brooklyn, or at least there used to be. Yeah. So, well, this kind of uh, speaks to our next question: favorite bar or restaurant? <sighs> you know, home cooking is my favorite, but uh, you know what I'm going to say for my favorite bar. Is I like O uh, five the kombucha and tea uh, compulsion place on Fourth uh, near Vine, downtown penthouse or West Side Mansion? West Side Mansion. First place you bring someone from out of town? Kitts Beach. And last but not least, what is something that you've bought for under five hundred dollars in the past year or so that's had a, a major impact on your life? You know, the things that make you happy aren't the things you buy. You know what? I'm going to go with $2.50. Uh, $2. Uh, wait, i got to look up the translation. It's called Copriva in Serbian. Metal tea. 
nettle real tea. nettle leaf tea, so good for you. You know, I kind of would have said herbal tea is kind of wussy, but uh, if, if you're allowed to use that word on a family show, <laughs> but that nettle tea is really good stuff. If you suffer from sinus pain, you need to go to Kit's Natural Foods wow. and buy the $2.50 Serbian nettle tea. Oh my! my th- three people are writing this down. My wife is. Uh, she's uh, she's got wife, big sinus. My uh, wife as well. Nettle tea. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, and the chamomile, and you know, if you are looking for an affordable Valentine's gift or uh, anniversary or just date night present, bring home the nettle tea. Eh, just the nettle tea. Good stuff. I'll hear you right up. So, so Tom. Last but not least, how can how can people find out more about what you do, what you do, and uh, and your writing and your yeah. Thinking? Well, you know, for the academic stuff, SSRN, the Social Sciences Research Network. They can uh, follow me on Twitter, and uh, they can see my stuff at blogs.ubc.ca/davidoff, and they can take real estate finance uh, if they're solder students. Wow. And actually, I think you know the more people we talk to listening to podcasts, there's a lot of a lot of folks out at UBC by the sounds of things. So that's a good recommendation. Yeah, for absolutely. Sure. Excellent. Well, thanks again for taking the time, Tom. Oh, real pleasure. Good yeah. luck out in the market. Thank thanks. you. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Tom Davidoff, Professor Tom Davidoff at the UBC Solder School of Business. Really enjoyed that conversation with Tom Davidoff, Matt. And I should say, yes, for as good as that conversation was when we had the mics on, it was even better when we turned the mics off. I and, feel like uh, this, is, this is increasingly the case with this podcast is don't ask any guests any questions before or after because we always have these great conversations and, and it's kind of off the record and it's really natural and it's... Uh, we always have these great. I yeah. don't even know what to say about it. it. It was it was fantastic. But you know what? In this case, um, the, the on mic conversation I think flowed really well. Tom is just one of those guys. You can ask him anything, and he can talk. And he's uh, he's a bright light. That's yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So it was great having Tom on the show. But Matt, what else do we have? Well, Adam, we have VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. That is our website in which there is an updated news feed, tips, tricks, all your real estate needs, including private client services. Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. It's basically realtor level information. It's at your fingertips. It's free. And it seriously is the best resource out there for searching for real estate in Vancouver. And you can get it on our site. If you're not using PCS to search Vancouver real estate, you're doing it wrong. We also have the live wire. No, yeah, I want to, I want to interrupt can you I, here. Can, can Matt, okay, can you just, okay, you're going to take the mic. Fermi la bouche. Um, I <laughs> just want right? to, yeah, that is. I, I just want to tell you guys, we are sending out deal of the month. This is, these are some of the best deals that come across our desks and we're sending it out on a weekly basis. And right now we're seeing humongous savings on things like assignments. We, just, the we just put an assignment out last week. We did. That, that was a fire sto- set. The story, it's still available. The story behind that assignment is one for the ages. I don't even know if I can say it on the podcast. I don't even know if you truly know it. But here, well, no, I do. I oh, do. you do? I do. I got the inside track. The, the long and short, though, is we're putting out deals. We're putting out stats. We put out episode updates. 
deal of the month. We got it all. The live wire is something you want to be a part There's of. There's no reason why you shouldn't be using these resources. They're free and they're available at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And if you want to chat about those or anything else, give me a call. It's 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And we also got that secret schooling line. Info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. That sounds like somebody missed their nap today. Have a good week, guys. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations, and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020.